Welcome to the Baseball Neighborhood, a Dodger Yard podcast about the other 29 Major League Baseball teams. I'm your host, Tavi, and today we talk Giants. Now, apologies to listeners and my guest, Elliot, as we recorded this last Monday before the Giants-Dodgers game series in LA, uh, but because of my insane work schedule, uh, it won't be released until, well, today. Well, you're hearing this now uh, while the Dodgers are up in San Francisco. You all might not know this, but my full-time job is working as a prop maker for film and television and work is picking up in earnest, but the show will go on, I promise. In fact, today we reach the ultimate baseball neighborhood neighbors because as I said, we talk San Francisco Giants. So the Giants began way back when actually as the New York Gothams. They joined the National League in 1883. That's the same year that the team from Philadelphia, who were first called the Quakers, but later the Phillies. That's the same year they joined. In 1895, a man named Andrew Friedman bought the controlling interest in the New York Giants. That's F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N, Friedman. Um, And apparently he was one of the worst owners in franchise history. He feuded with the players so hard. In fact, one pitcher refused to take the field for an entire season because he hated Andrew Friedman so much. But apparently, you know, you can just fail upward because in 1902, Friedman also purchased a controlling interest in the American League Baltimore Orioles, not the Orioles we know and love today. See the Orioles episode for that story. But Friedman made the purchase with financial backing from John T. Brush, who at the time was the principal owners of the Cincinnati Reds, who are also in the National League. Well, with Friedman now in control of the Orioles, he released all of the team's best players, basically freeing them up to sign with, surprise, surprise, the Giants and the Reds, and a bunch of them did. Like, six or seven players are just like, okay, we're going to be Giants and Reds now. Um, And the Baltimore team had to fold, as, you know, they had no players. In fact, the team ended up having to leave Baltimore completely and relocate to New York. They called themselves at first the Highlanders, which, if you've listened to previous podcasts, you know... They now are called the New York Yankees. So you could argue that it is the fault of Giants owner Andrew Friedman that the Yankees are in New York, which is a kind of funny sentence to say in 2021. But there you go. Technically, the Giants and the Dodgers, back when the Dodgers were still called the Bridegrooms, they did face off in a World Series in 1889. At the time, the Brooklyn Bridegrooms were a part of the ill-fated American Association. That World Series was played as a best of 11 game, but unfortunately the Giants won it in nine, so they didn't play all 11 games. In the next offseason, the Brooklyn team left the American Association and joined the National League. And since then, since the winter, like since 1889, they have not faced each other in the postseason once. Yes, there have been pennant tiebreakers, but no actual postseason showdowns. I mean, they are in the same league and their same division, so it's not that crazy. But but yeah, they, they have not faced off in the postseason since 1889, which is kind of crazy to think about. You know, it makes sense why they haven't, but still kind of crazy. The official National League Dodgers and National League Giants have been facing off ever since May 3rd, 
1890 and there are entire generations worth of stories to tell that came out of this rivalry and the funny thing is though if you look at the record the teams are pretty evenly matched when it comes to totals though the giants have a slight edge in numbers uh, as of this morning july 28th the dodgers have won 1245 games and the giants have won 1266 games the giants have eight world series the dodgers have seven and this season the dodgers have won seven and the giants have won seven so for teams that have been facing off for 131 years that's kind of crazy to think about how evenly matched they have been historically yes they've been ups and downs and sweeps and defeats but there's something wonderfully comforting about this rivalry and this year, when Major League Baseball was so determined to push the Padres storyline, I'm really glad to see the Giants step up and say, hell no, we're the OG rivalry and we're going to make you earn it because the path this year back to the World Series goes directly through the Giants. But enough for me. Let's hear from a Giants fan directly. Baseball neighborhood fans, please welcome to the show, Elliot. Uh, they are a baseball fan and a Giants fan, and we are actually going to talk Dodgers Giants. And for those of you uh, listening at home, I am wearing my Go Get Out of the Ocean shirt uh, just because I'm got to be a little bit, a little bit antagonistic, but not terribly. That's as antagonistic as we're going to get, as passive aggressive as we're going to get. But I have to say, you guys have got our number right now. How does it feel to be a Giants fan at this moment? Oh. Man, I, I mean, I think right now, <laughs> I think it feels pretty good. The Giants haven't been, well, I guess in 2020, they were like solidly okay, but they haven't been good in any sense of the word for quite a few years now. So it feels good to be in first place in the division and to like hold on to that division lead, even though, you know, all national media has said is that we're going to lose the division. Um, there's no way. Um, or I think as uh, not to misquote the Dodgers manager at the Dodgers fans, but I believe that like a couple weeks ago, Dave Roberts was like, I think we're going to end the season on top of the division um, and so on and so forth. So it feels pretty good to, to, I think, have like defied most of these expectations. Uh, it feels good to be in first place. Although given that we're only halfway through the season, I think it's a little bit too early to be celebrating, but I can't lie. It feels pretty, pretty good. Pretty darn good. Yeah. So, uh, before the podcast, we were talking a little bit. You're you're a little bit newer to baseball. What is your take on the Giants Dodgers rivalry? Because you didn't grow up with it. I didn't grow up with it. Um, but what is your take on that rivalry? Because it is quite intense. There's a history. There's actual blood spilled. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I um, would first like to say that I think one of my friends told me yesterday when I was discussing this question with him that. Uh, I was definitely on the milder end of the rivalry spectrum uh, because I, I think a lot of my friends who grew up as a Giants fan and had parents as a Giants fan, or even who like, you know, live in California, um, it's, I think that the hatred is a lot more present and like, you know, um, I think for me, I got into baseball because I think I enjoy the sort of narrative that comes with not just the rhythms of the game, but also with individual players and like the stories of teams. Um, and I think in that sense, obviously, like, do I want the Giants to beat the Dodgers every time we play? Absolutely. Uh, will I gladly, you know, if I'm at the stadium chant beat LA for sure. Um, and I think the rivalry is very fun, but for me, it doesn't really go beyond like I want our team, like my team to win. 
Um, and I think it's it's nice to have a rivalry because that really, like going to rival games is really like one of the most exciting things, right? Because everybody is so much more into it than say like a Wednesday afternoon game against the Colorado Rockies. That's not a dig against the Rockies, but you know, it's like Giants-Dodgers games or um, Cards-Cubs games are always a lot more intense. So it's fun for me in that sense, but not really anything that goes beyond that. Um, plus I have to admit, even as a Giants fan, that I'm very fond of Clayton Kershaw and I'm very glad that he got his ring in 2020. So I can't like even hate the fact that, you know, the Dodgers have a championship too much because I'm honestly quite relieved on his, on his behalf. So yeah. That's fantastic. So, know, that might be an answer that gets my Giants fan card removed, <laughs> but we'll see. I think it's a very healthy answer, actually. Uh, I kind of wish more both Giants and Dodgers fans had that take of just like, it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. Realizing that this person we're going to talk about next is beyond when you were a fan and stuff like that. Uh, Aubrey Huff uh, is a four. He has two world championship rings with the Giants and he's just a massive asshole. How does the fan base feel about him right now? And do you have any advice on how to deal with a-hole former players? Because we've got a heck of a one right now, so. Yeah, um, I think even, like, even if, you know, he was sort of on the Giants before I became a fan, mm -hmm. I think any Giants fan, past or present, or, like, I guess, you know, currently, obviously, re regardless of where, when they got into baseball, I think, watched probably the championship run, because I certainly did, uh, even though I didn't watch it during 2010, 2014. Um, and so with Huff, it's it's interesting, because I was actually reading um, the the Andrew Bagley book about the 2010 Giants run, and it was, it was really trippy to read all these chapters on, like, Huff and even, like, Pat Burrell, and see that they, like, obviously, they played a big role in the championships, and in that sense, um, if you only isolate that, I guess in a sense, especially for writing that, you know, came out during the time, oh, well, such as it is, um, celebrates the players' um, on the field performance, right? Mm -hmm. I think for me, I am someone who really doesn't believe in being able to completely separate the player and the person. I think it, it's a really fine line between saying like well you know this player contributed to this team or like this championship but he's a terrible person so I would rather we focus on that rather than you know maybe his individual contributions to the team in some ways I'm like if you want to look at it like that I understand where you're coming from but I feel like that just becomes a way to justify behavior that should never really be justified specifically about Huff, the Giants organization has like done at least I think their best in some ways to distance him from the team itself. And as far as I know, uh, and obviously I am biased in the sense that like, I think most people that I speak to have similar political leanings as I do, we despise, we despise him. And there's not really a sort of any sort of redeeming quality <laughs> in this in this person remember that uh one of the the giants have this podcast and i remember the podcasters talking about it and they say you know it's in general giants fans are pretty good about ex players who like leave and then come back and play as a opponent right or like they're pretty good about players coming back and like celebrating them on the field like with the 2019 you know bruce Bochy retirement mm -hmm. um but obviously huff he hasn't been invited to any of those and i think they were talking about how he's probably the one of the most hated like former players on the team right now. So I think that says 
a lot about how the fan base looks at him. As fans, right, we can't control who's on the team and we can't control who's good at baseball and who's bad at baseball as much as we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I think the only thing really to do is like, yeah, well, recognize that, sure, this person may be good at baseball and he may have contributed to XYZ accomplishments, but that doesn't erase or even in any way like negate or lessen the fact that they're a terrible person. And therefore, because of that, I, I am more inclined to simply be like, well, he's a terrible person. He's an asshole. Uh, and I think the baseball accomplishments matter much less. It's going to be, I hate to use the word interesting, but like Bauer wasn't on the team very long, you know, literally half a season. A lot of people didn't want him before they signed him. A lot of people didn't like him when they signed him. And a lot of people are glad he's gone, but you know, of course not happy about the way he's gone. That's, that is really terrible. He, you know, is such a small portion of what happened this season. I think, you know, they've removed all of his merch from the team store. He's gone out of all the promos and things like that. I take that as a positive sign of he's never coming back. I don't see a way for him back on the team ever. I don't see, I don't see any of the players now that they fully, like they may have, some of them might've been uncomfortable with him. Some of them might not, you know, you never know. But I don't see him comfortably playing next to some of these players ever again. Yeah, I think the the hard thing about Bauer, even though he's been only on the team for a little bit, is that he's such a loud person on social media and in games. Um, I I know that there is a small portion of Giants fans before, um, you know, all of this came out uh, who saw him as sort of like a like a really good heel for the Giants if that makes sense you yeah because it used to be Clayton Kershaw right but mm-hmm. a lot of people including myself really like Clayton Kershaw if I think it's hard to hate Clayton Kershaw it um, really is <laughs> like I, I know I certainly have friends who despise Kershaw for the merits of being a Dodger but I think he's hard to hate in some ways and Bauer for, for I think a portion of fans was like well this is a guy who even on the field right you can hate completely and utterly it's really interesting that he's been here uh, in terms of on the Dodgers for such a little amount of time and yet has had like such a large presence, which is in some ways kind of horrible to, to think about, but yeah. Yeah. When I had the podcast with the Yankees fan, uh, we talked about how we were, you know, the big bads of, of the league kind of in a way, you know, the Yankees have, you know, they're 27 rings, it's 26 in a pocket watch, whatever the, the narrative of they have all the money, the narrative of, of that sort of thing. And then when Bauer joined the team, I'm like, well, we really are the bad guys now. Like we have a legitimate reason for people to hate us. And it was very, very frustrating. In a way, like I'm almost kind of like I'm torn between wanting the team to kind of suffer for what it did. But also, like you said, teammates don't get to choose their teammates. And even if a big name player like Kershaw or Betts or someone had weighed in, which again, we don't know, like positive or negative, even if they had, it doesn't really matter. It's all down to the front office. So what I'm getting at is screw you, Andrew Friedman, just a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the good players. We've already brought up Buster Posey. I think Buster Posey is probably like the one giant that Dodger fans would steal if we could, because he's just like, he's a great guy. He just, everything about him seems positive. And like Buster Posey, what a great baseball name. Like just, he starts out so great. He took 2020 off uh, because of his kids, because of COVID, a couple a couple different things. And then he came back out and his season right now, let's see, I, lo- I pulled up his numbers. He's, uh, as of uh, today, we're, so we're talking on Monday before the series start, but as of today, he's got a, um, a 328 batting average with an OPS of uh, 968, which is, 
ridiculous for a catcher like you know will smith is supposed to be like you know this amazing slugger and he's not having the season but buster posey my goodness at his age he's what 20 or 31 he's 34 34 he's gonna be 34 this season i was doing math and i was not doing it well he's 34 that's unheard of at that age at that position your knees are gonna go like when you're a catcher or even umpires unless unless you're unless you're daddy or molina that's that's true that's true that's true Posey's giving him a run for the money right now as part in terms of, of, of value and things like that. So what do you think, how did he come out of 2020 and put that together? Um, what are your so thoughts? I, this is, I will admit that this is probably the question that I have the most notes on because I saw this <laughs> and I was like, Oh, wow. Um, so I think I, um, obviously, you know, as speaking as a lay person to baseball, I think there's like a couple things. Um, for one, I remember our announcers were joking about this and they say any catcher who's played in the league for more than five years should actually just be mandated to take a year off um because I well obviously they were joking but in the sense that like obviously we know that catching is a position that has the most wear and tear on a person's body in baseball and once you get to a certain age it's a lot harder to play 162 games a year or even like less than that right? right um in this position and not just have a variety of like joint and like muscle um problems or injuries or like just just you know, little bothers. And I think one big thing that has helped in the case of Buster Posey is taking the year off. Um, because uh, I don't, I don't know how familiar, like, I guess Dodgers fans are with, with sort of his injury history. But aside from obviously the 2011 collision with Scott Cousins, um, in 2018, uh, August, he decided to undergo hip surgery to repair a torn labrum as well as I think there was it was like bone chips and like a microfracture in the right hip um and so you know that's obviously a pretty major surgery uh and he came back opening day of 2019 and played pretty well right uh if you look at his 2018 numbers there he hit like five home runs in the total of 2018 um, yeah, yeah, they're not and, great. And I'm looking. They're right not now. great, and because he essentially played through the season with injury, and in 2019 he came back and he was pretty, like he was okay, like yeah. he was fine, right? Especially for a catcher, he was. Um, and but I think having the year off and letting the surgery heal fully, you know, and also just having a year off from the daily wear and tear of being a catcher definitely has helped him. Um, in addition, I know that the sort of talk around the Giants has been like are hitting coaches and how a lot of the old veteran players have retooled their swing. Um, the Giants hitting coach, we have three actually, um, Justin Veal, Do- Donnie Ecker, and Dustin Lind. And what they've done is if you look at, um, you know, the thing about Buster is that he's been such a constant present on the Giants since ever since he came up. Right. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a very, I think, nice familiarity to Giants players and seeing him at the, uh, at, at bat or like seeing him behind the plate but if you look at his swing from say 2010 or even compare like 2014 or even 2018 whatever to now he's changed um the way a a little bit about how he sets up in the box um he's loading his hands differently and the bat is actually more like vertical you know he used to do this thing where you know when he's it's like over his shoulder uh, now it's like a lot more upright which he said um you know helps him get through the zone quicker because it, he can cover more at a he can wait longer on pitches because you you can have quicker hands mm-hmm. um and so essentially i guess all of this rambling is to say aside from the injury 
Um, he sort of changed things about his mechanics that's helped him. Um, and then although, and then the other thing, and in yeah. the sense that like, he's also talked about how he sort of changed his hitting philosophy just a little bit. Um, I think the Giants staff or hitting, you know, coaches are very, they emphasize, you know, getting on base, right? But aside from that, um, in the case of Buster Posey, he said that he knows that he has a swing that can cover the zone really well and that there are pitches which he could probably hit for, say, line drives or like singles, um, which in the past he said he would probably have just done that. Um, I don't have the exact quote, but I remember that he said something like, um, you know, the coaching staff has encouraged him to try and actually, you know, make harder contact and swing, you know, for the fences, essentially, um, in, in this year, rather than settling for line drives, um, or like, you know, softer contact and singles. Um, if you look at his numbers, he has, um, in terms of just like percentages, um, his home run percentage this year at, I think, 5.2% is highest in his career. Um, he's striking he's like out... Was it 12 home runs on the season already? That's pretty great. Yeah. And he's been pretty great for 34. (laughs) Pretty good for 34 and pretty good for 200 some plate appearances where he's taking one day off every three days, right? That's more home runs than he hit in 2019 and 2018 combined. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And so, so, but he's striking out a little more, but his walks aren't really down. And then in terms of like um, hard hit percentage, um, he's at 44.6%, which barring um, 2016 is a career high mark as well um so essentially I think it's a combination of like finally being injury free um and sort of changing things about his mechanics that have allowed him to get to the ball better and harder I think it'll be interesting to see how the off like year off or even yeah. like sort of the shortened season has affected pitchers versus hitters um because I obviously this is not backed up by any statistics I think off the top of my head I almost imagine that pitchers who took the year off might have more trouble coming back than say a hitter had Buster taken a year off without any of the injury problems. Say like he was healthy all throughout 2018 to 2021. I think he would have still come back good and probably better than before, but might maybe not as drastic of a mark versus his like 2018, 2019 campaign. Mm -hmm. So I think there's like a variety of factors that contribute to how a player comes back, but it'll definitely be interesting to see. Gabe Kapler is someone who has a less glorious past with the Dodgers. Uh, there was definitely some shady things that happened. Uh, there was an incident uh, with a Dodger minor leaguer and uh, a sexual harassment incident and Gabe Kapler. Uh, I don't think he particularly handled the situation well, but I think he meant well. Um, I like to hope that he learned from that. How do Giants fans view Gabe Kapler? Because He's brought some success to the team, it seems. At the risk of rambling, I want to split my answer sort of into two parts. Go for it. Um, I think for general fan opinion, um, I think most people don't hate him, if only because the Giants have been... Last year, you know, Giants were were a one-game-under-500 team at the end of the season. Um, And this year, obviously, we've had a lot of success. And in that sense, I think... Um, some fans um, certainly see him as a good manager who's, you know, if you're just looking at the team's performance on the field, um, I think it's sort of undeniable that I guess the Giants are good now and I think he has a role in it and he probably has a pretty important role in it. Um, so I think in that sense, right, um, any manager that brings a lot of success to a team is going to have fans who are a fan um, of, of the manager. Um, 
I think it helps that Kapler is sort of new school in the sense that, you know, a lot of statistics, a lot of, or I guess it helps for maybe younger fans um, in the sense that, you know, he is a lot more data-driven. We've seen that he really likes matchups. He really likes um, what the Giants announcers have taken to call in line changes, um, as in, you know, bringing in different players, uh, switching them out to face specific pitchers. Um, so in that sense, I think he's definitely popular in that way. Um, personally speaking, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Gabe Kapler, um, not just because of the th stuff that you mentioned. I think for me, like I was saying earlier with the Huff question, it's harder for me to, to sort of say, well, he's managing a good team, but he's done shitty things in the past. So I'm going to ignore the things in the past and say, well, he's managing a good team. Um, I think a lot of the Giants' success, obviously Kapler has had a hand in it. Um, that's undeniable but I am almost more inclined to credit the coaches and the players themselves. Um, I think a big part of it is that a lot of our core players who are older, right? Posey's 34, Brandon Crawford's 34, um, Longoria is also 30 something, Belt's 33, I think. And, you know, uh, these players have been hitting, they've ha they're having career years better than they were before. Um, our pitching staff, it almost feels like it's 2010 again. You know, we have we have solid pitching. Um, and in that sense, I think a lot of the success comes on that front rather than how good Kapler himself is managing the team because I, you can't manage a bad team to win um, necessarily. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, the the grievance that I also have with Kapler, if we're only going to talk about on the field performance, is I think. Giants fans in some way have been spoiled by Bruce Bochy's bullpen management. Um, you know, if you look at the 2014 World Series, a lot of the moves he pulled there were really, I, I think for, for, it's, for that time, right? Nobody really had used a starter in relief like used Madison Bumgarner. And I think um, Kapler is definitely not a genius at bullpen management. Um, <laughs> Dodgers fans might be happy to hear this. The Giants broke a record last year in the sense that um, we, have gone 91 years without losing a five-run lead in the ninth. And we did that last year. And I'm, we did that again, I don't think in the ninth inning this year, but we came pretty close to doing it. Um, so in that sense, I guess I, even though I've been a recent fan, I, I miss some aspects of having a more solid bullpen and someone who might know how to use them better. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not the biggest fan of Kapler, but I think the general reception on him has been more or less positive. Gotcha. Um, so talking about other, well, I actually, I feel like I need to tell the story now. So I have a, I have a friend who works in major league baseball and he was at AT, not AT&T, Oracle park. It's Oracle park now, um, which it changes every five years. So it's fine. He, he told me the story. And every time I think of Gabe Kapler, I think of it and I don't understand what it means, but I know it means something. So it was after a giant's loss and he was like walking through the tunnel and Gabe Kapler had like an ice cream bar, like a, you know, like a dove bar, like a chocolate with the ice cream. And he was like angrily taking bites of it and like swirling it around and spitting it into a trash can. And he did this for the whole thing. I don't know what it means, but it means something, right? Like that. I, <laughs> that sounds, um, obviously I don't, I don't know Gabe Kapler on any level beyond having to watch dugout shots of him right. and sit through Fox interviews of him every time we have the misfortune of being chosen as a Fox or ESPN game. Right. Um, 
but that does sound like something it, it sounds like something very in line with his personality as he's demonstrated it to reporters um because like a lot of the talk has also been about like oh I think someone asked Brandon Crawford who's like the fittest person on the team and he was like it has to be our manager because um, uh, you know uh Kapler is very into health and fitness um I mean, so I, I don't a, know. That, that sounds like something he he would do. That does, you know. There's a reason why people call him Babe Kapler sometimes. So you know, every time I think of him, I think of that story. And I I didn't see it, but I can see it. You know, like I can see that happening. Just now, like every that. time now every time I hear about Gabe Kapler, I'm going to think about that story. So you know. Um, so let's talk a little bit about other uh, new coaching decisions. So Alyssa Nakin joined the staff in 2020. How are the, how do the fans react? Um, I mean, I know a lot of people were excited, but a lot of people are also assholes. Uh, how do you think the general acceptance of her has come along? I think the general reception of her has been positive. Again, um, I think I am sort of biased in the sense that I try not to, you know, interact with too many of the people who've been assholes about stuff like her hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really cool to see representation of this kind on the field. And it's kind of like, in, in some ways, right? Like she's done a really good job at the position and players have talked about how um, she's a really good coach and someone really, really good to work with. And she obviously knows her stuff. Um, so I think in both senses, both in the sort of representation sense and in the sense that she's just very good at her job. Right. I think the the reception on that side has been positive. I know a lot of people think that, um, or not a lot, I guess, I know that some people definitely are like, well, this is a diversity hire or whatever. But again, if it's on, if the players are saying that she's very good at her job, then there's no question that, you know, she's very good at the position. And in that sense, like she has the qualifications to be there and players, you know, um, from what I've heard, obviously, you know, have said that she's a good coach. So in that sense, I think, yeah, I, I think most people probably don't have grievances with with her in that position. And I think most fans like myself um, like to see her there. We think she's very cool and a good presence on the coaching staff. Yeah. Well, you, well, the, the Giants have, have kind of pushed that gender barrier before. Uh, Rennell Brooks-Moon uh, was the first female uh, stadium announcer, and that was in the year 2000, which was, you know, a while ago, which is nice. So talking about a little bit of activism, the Giants game on August 26, 2020, you know, Mookie Betts and Ken Lee Jansen and Dave Roberts with Clayton Kershaw paused the game because of the shooting of Jacob Blake. It really felt like the Giants were like, totally on in on it like it didn't seem like they were like what come on let's play baseball they were they were in on it like they knew what was going on how did how I think most Dodger fans reacted extremely positively again but we're in the same situation of like I don't listen to the a-holes so like um how how do you think Giants fans reacted to it because you know if especially since the team was on on board and San Francisco being a more liberal city it seems like it would have been an interesting thing, but how, what was that like as a Giants fan? Um, I think for me, so at that point, uh, that summer, I was actually back in China. So I sort of woke up in the morning and I sort of was like, ah, I'm going to watch a Giants game in the morning because what else do you do in quarantine? <laughs> and then I saw the news. But I, I think um, most people were definitely, definitely reacted positively to it. I think the circumstances of the times and the political climate, even now, but especially at that point in 2020, it sort of seemed like something that was very much 
if not necessary, then very much like, you know, it's very, um, I guess the word I'm looking for is like pertinent in the moment um, mm -hmm. for them to have done. Uh, I, in terms of the team, I know that um, afterward, you know, a lot of stuff was written about it. And there's sort of the sense that there might have been players who didn't want to go through with it in Clubhouse, but in the end, you know, the, the sort of unifying voice was that this is something that we ought to be in support of. And obviously they, um, you know, didn't play that day and they were in support of the protest. Um, something that sort of stood out to me was that uh, Mike Yastrzemski, after the game, or after the, the, the sort of protest and, and the postponement of the game, made the comment that in terms of the shooting and in terms of the police violence and the sort of racial injustices um, that obviously have always been present in America, but I guess sort of come came to a head in sort of that period of 2020. Um, he said that, you know, it's, I, I have the quote written down because I didn't want to misquote him. And he says, it's important to see this as not affecting just one community, it's affecting our country. That shows the importance of this. It's very easy to pass off situations that aren't affecting us personally. But I think there's a civil way to make your point and make change. I'm not a politician, I'm not a bill writer, I'm just an athlete with personal views, but I hope something good will come out of this. Um, so it seems like the general view in the Giants Clubhouse and the ones that they voiced to the public definitely were in support of the protests, which is in line with, I believe, what most of the players did, um, I think a couple weeks after in terms of kneeling for the national anthem. Um, so yeah, I think on my side, I was obviously very happy to see them do that. So uh, let's talk about, uh, let's put all that harmony behind us and talk about uh, Mad Max and Mad Bum. Uh, since I'm wearing the shirt, <laughs> here, here's my, I love Max Muncy. I think he's great. I also recognize that if Max Muncy was not on my team, I would probably think he's just the world's biggest shithead, which he kind of is. But he's our shithead, you know, like we get <laughs> How did fans react to that? Like you said, right, if Max Muncy isn't on your team, and in, I guess in Giant Sands cases, given that he's on the Dodgers and not, you know, any other team, um, I think it's, it's, I personally really dislike Max Muncy um, as a player. I don't know anything about him as a person. I see him on the field and I'm like, wow, I hate this man. Um, but, <laughs> but in that sense, I think most fans were like, I'm all for people showboating homers. I think watching Tatis is wonderful. I'm a big fan of like the Cubs, you know, Wilson Contreras. Um, but I, I think for this specific incident, I was very much like, wow, I never mind. I don't like it when people show show about homers. Um, I think I think for for me, I I think that was the moment where I was like, oh, I hate Max Muncy just a little bit more now. And I think a lot of Giants fans probably felt similar. Um, but I do understand that on the other hand, I don't think Muncy did anything super egregious. And I'm not just saying this because this is a Dodgers podcast. This is what I generally <laughs> genuinely think. I don't think his like pimping of his home run was super egregious. Um, I also understand why Madison Bumgarner would have gotten mad um, because, you know, I think it's kind of in line with, with his history. And, and it's, you know, as much as I now despise Muncie just a little more and obviously the get it out of the ocean quote, I hate. Um, <laughs> I am very willing to admit that I mostly think that because one, it's the Dodgers and two, I personally am very fond of Madison Bumgarner as a player. Um, so yeah. The, the, I, do, I do think that the fans who make the joke that uh, McCovey Cove is now like McMuncie Cove is a little overboard. Um, I, I like, I think the getting, getting it out of the ocean thing is fun in the stadiums, right? It's like the sort of what we said earlier about the fun mm -hmm. bit of the rivalry, but when, when fans sort of 
make um, the joke about McCovey Cove, I'm always like, well, you know, this is a part of the team's history. And I don't think you should be talking about like, you know, Willie McCovey and like sort of, not that that's what they mean, but sort of right. that's how it feels on this side. Yeah. Uh, but the moment itself is fun. Uh, it's a fun bit of rivalry that's ultimately harmless, gives the Dodgers some promo material and yeah. gives the Giants fans something to be salty about. So, yeah. so yeah. That's like the good kind of salty though. No one is hurt in this situation. Yes. You know, no one, no one actually, you know, no one got beamed. No one, that's like, it's the, it's the fun part of like the, the jawing and the chirping. Yeah. 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 Granted, granted the Dodgers doing the, uh, get it out of the ocean giveaway bobblehead thing in 2021 is a little bit i don't know a little bit but i understand that's it (laughs) no they were they were all in a warehouse have you uh yeah i I was i was saying that i understand that if it was like meant for 2020 (laughs) and doing it now is fine yeah but i was like you know if they're doing this in 2020 as like a new thing that's he's not madison moment isn't even on this team i there's no reason for you to have seen this they had a really funny promo where they went into the warehouse and it was like um, you know, we'll see you in 2020. And then like, they open it back up and like uh, the, cause like there was also the Bellinger, um, I have it somewhere, the Bellinger MVP bobblehead, which that was 2019 and goodness knows he hasn't earned it since. So they had like the Bellinger bobblehead and the Muncie bobblehead and like the Bellinger had like this big, huge beard. And it was like, you know, they're like, welcome, you know, go get him out of the warehouse, that sort of thing. And it was really dumb and it was really cheesy, but they very much made a point of like, yeah, we know these were supposed to be last year. And they even made a joke about it, how it's so timely. They're like, yeah, having this month bobblehead come out right now is so timely. So they're very much aware that it was like for 2020 and then, you know, the world exploded. Yeah, but- I, I think that's, that makes it like fine. Um, or like, I, I, again, it's like the fun bit of the rivalry. Like, I'm, I have no doubt that if such a moment were to come in terms of like the Giants, um, sort of drawing at a Dodgers player. Not that I think we have very many people on the team right now who would do that. Uh-huh. Um, I think I think on this side it would be fun promotion as well. Uh, so I get that. Uh, not that that diminishes my hatred, but <laughs> such as it is. This is a little off topic. How did you feel when the like Mason Saunders news came out? Like <laughs> <laughs> that was that wasn't what I expected uh, the question to be about. But <laughs> I I mean I I I think right. The question is like if such a news was to come out about any player in the league who would it be if it isn't madison Bumgarner? <laughs> right. right like i think it's the least it, it, obviously the news was surprising but it's the least surprising of such a surprising news right like if someone was to be like guess what buster posey does in his off season you would be like no that's yeah but but you know from everything uh, the the sort of public persona that madison Bumgarner has has given us um in the past 10 years I guess uh obviously it's surprising but it's very him in a way um you know during I I don't know how much Dodgers fans are familiar with Madison Bumgarner's off season um, there's no reason for them to be uh but you know he owns a ranch back yeah. in North Carolina and not just owns a ranch like he works on the ranch and he sort of said that like yeah I'm not doing this for the money I just enjoy this and it's just I think it's it's very him for for it to be for him to do that uh you know who else if not Madison Bumgarner this very like Paul Bunyan like figure right yeah yeah I just like it when that news broke you're right I was like I laughed for probably a solid two minutes and then was like well that makes sense (laughs) I, I did not know that he had a, a ranch and all that stuff, but just like, 
the idea that he was like, yeah, I'm well, and like, cause I, I grew up around horses and like, we didn't, we didn't work cattle, but like, I knew people who roped, I knew people who did rodeos. Like I even did like the kitty rodeos. It's so dangerous. Like the number of people I, I can think of offhand, at least three people who have like, you know, done their, done their horn wrap and like got a finger caught and like, you know, horses can be a-holes sometimes cows are bigger a-holes and just like the thought of like all of the horrible things that could happen to his pitching hand like I stopped riding because yeah. the horse fell over on me like I was riding a horse and they fell over on me and then like that was like I didn't stop stop riding but like that was when I was like I'm not gonna do this professionally because that really hurt and it sucks it's like oh I can't believe like there's not a clause in his contract somewhere well there's a there's that uh well the Giants have banned their players from surfing because of Barry Zito so I'm sure now there's probably a, a no roping contract uh, right? clause in there um oh. and I think I mean with 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 Madison Baumgartner it's like if you read his 2014 Sportsman of the Year profile, which not saying that Dodgers fans have to, uh, but it's very well written as a piece of like sports writing. Uh -huh. uh, it talks about how when he was in the minors, he like, you know, he he'd never been that far away from home because um, he's from North Carolina, a very small town, mm -hmm. um, drafted out of high school, of course. And in the minors, he would practice roping wherever he was, Scottsdale or whatever. And it's just, I think it's a very, it's very him. And and obviously, as we've seen with the sort of 2018 fell off a dirt bike, broke his pitching arm thing. This isn't this isn't a knock against him because personally, I think it's it's in some ways like you really can't. These people are the teams for 162 days a year, and in the off season, they have to have lives of their own. But I think you know it's very him. I, I guess is the, the the all the dangers involved. Um, yeah still very Madison Bumgarner of him I mean if you think if you spend you know 162 days with that much adrenaline all of them have to be a little bit of an adrenaline junkies like to be able to deal with it to be able to deal with that much like uh going on let's talk this so everyone knows the Giants Dodgers biggest rivalry aside from the Dodgers who do you consider your biggest rivals right now because Major League Baseball has put so much pressure on the Padres Dodgers rivalry and that's not do they, does Major League Baseball or does the sport put that kind of pressure on between the Dodgers, I'm sorry, between the Giants and the Padres? I, I think the thing is nobody expected the Giants to be this good. I don't even think Giants fans expected the Giants to be this good. I was very much ready to come in and say, if we have a season that's like five games above 500, we're, we're going to be very happy about it. Um, so I don't think there hasn't been as much media pressure in terms of the Giants Padres rivalry, or even in terms of the Giants Dodger rivalry, I think at the beginning of the season, right? Especially mm -hmm. after uh, that four game sweep you guys had over us. I think everybody was like, well, you know, the Giants have been playing a lot of sub 500 teams. This is it. They're not actually good. Um, now that we're halfway through the season, things have shaken out a little differently, but I think the media pressure is still less there because everybody is sort of expecting the Giants to fall apart. Um, the our broadcaster said uh, a couple weeks ago that Giants fans need to do well to remember that this isn't going to be 2016, um, where I think the Giants entered the All Star break eight games above the Dodgers and finished by clinching a wild card spot. Uh, so, so I think in that sense there hasn't been so much sort of ah the Giants in the the sort of you know obviously the Padres have stolen our beat LA chant. So <laughs> I right what can you do about that right? Um, and the in worst. terms of just like the biggest rivalry, in terms of the standings, obviously it's the Padres. 
uh, unless the Arizona Diamondbacks are ready to come back and win their next 79 games straight, which right. sure, I, I believe they can do it. Uh, but you know, Hey, ability and like possibility are two different things, but one of those is possible. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, just in terms of standings, right? I think similar with the Dodgers, it's the Padres who are worrying. Um, in terms of other rivalries, historically, the Giants and the A's have been a pretty, you know, the Bay Bridge series and whatnot, but that's interleague, so it matters a little less for the for the standings itself. The, the surprising one, I guess, would be Giants versus Cardinals. Uh, I know that the Cardinals and Cubs are dead rivals. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a bit of a sympathizer for both. The Cardinals this year have given us some trouble um, in terms of, you know, how we've been playing them, and historically, they've been two teams that every time they come head-to-head has been really interesting to watch because I think they play the game in similar ways and have a similar sort of intensity in the in the fan following so that's also been kind of interesting but again NL Central and NL West so yeah the Padres we really need to take the beat LA chant back from them though um I think that's the the priority right now yeah when when that started up at Petco we were all kind of like oh cool <laughs> cool I mean personally I think it's like all for fun right but yeah I, 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 I'm, I am a little bit salty that now the narrative seems to be like Padres Dodgers but I'm like well the Padres are five games behind the Giants and that means they're like four three games behind the Dodgers yeah I think um, it's four right, right now yeah I think it's four right now mm-hmm. and and so I'm like well you know the Padres can come up with their own let's don't despise LA let's despise the Giants whatever thing and beat LA is ours right <laughs> um, so, so I'm very much looking forwards to um hopefully we can do something in this series and the next series to sort of move that rivalry back to San Francisco LA the one thing we have on our side is supposedly um Buster Posey's coming off the IL today for the um bone bruise and we're gonna supposedly I haven't checked injury updates have um Kevin Gosman back from um he had from the family emergency that he had to attend to um so hopefully it should be a good matchup well you know we're down Mookie Betts Mookie Betts has been having hip trouble and then Gavin Lux pulled a hamstring last night and of course we're down Seager Seager might be coming back during uh during this series but like he's just made of glass he's so good when he's healthy but you look at him mean and he just crumples it's very frustrating our bullpen is just getting taxed. Yeah. Bullpens that don't really, I honestly, this is not like an educated baseball opinion. I think every bullpen does well to have someone who is a long reliever, you know, someone who can come in and just like eat up innings. Yeah. Um, because I think that that just helps so much in terms of like, well, you don't have to have piece one inning together from a bunch of your like, especially your like leverage relief guys, right? Like you don't have to use them every night. Um, the Giants, I, I don't think we currently have anybody who really like qualifies as a long reliever. Um, loath to talk about the NL Central, but say like the Cubs have like Alec Mills, who was a starter last year. And I think it just like helps mm-hmm. in terms of when you have days where you need someone to right. eat innings. You're you're right. That that kind of middle reliever is a hard thing to find. It's um, hard because, and it's unglorious. Yeah. Well, it's if, if, a- if you can do three innings, people look at you like, well, maybe you can start. I think that's where... Um, I don't want to say aging, but kind of where aging starters might shine. Yeah, and the difficulty is also that it's such an inglorious role, right? Like you remember the high leverage relief guys, you know, you remember the closers, obviously, you know, Brian Wilson, uh, Craig Kimbrell, Mark Melanson, um, and and sort of nobody, I always joke that I don't have object permanence for any of our bullpen guys, even though I watch them every night. 
but it's sort of such a such a unheralded role that is so important, I think, to have. And I totally get I mean, like Dylan Floro, every time he came up to pitch, we were like, wait, who is that? Oh, wait, Floro. Yeah, he's been on our team for a while now. And then, like, he's not on the team anymore, but I'm not 100% sure he's not on the team anymore. The Dodgers have definitely been criticized for being a very white organization, even though, you know, we do have some high-profile players of color. But a lot of that had to do with our extremely pasty pale, like, bullpen of like wait who is this again like uh which is it's getting better we're definitely getting more diverse which is great but yeah for a it's little while for, uh, like recognizing relief pitchers too we right? used to have the giants had um zach latell and connor menez who were both like ginger and had big beards um, and they would come out and i'd be like i what who who that <laughs> yeah. wait another pale dark-haired slightly scruffy short hair dark eyes who is that again that's the dodger yeah, yeah let's like what's going on <laughs> oh now we have like what well, i made the joke uh we have uh you know tony gonsolin who has like the long hair and the stash and now we have phil bickford who's he you know tony has like brown dark hair uh phil bickford is blonde long hair stash i was like we need to pick up like a brunette long hair because we need a three musketeers travel day costume is what we really need oh yes i i adore i adore travel days i think they're like teams really need to like i'm i'm thinking about like the giants did the giants did like that like pablo sandoval sort of dress up day you know the very loud hawaiian shirts nice chains uh-huh. uh, that might have been the most colorful i have ever seen buster posey dress um <laughs> so i i sort of really want them to bring that back uh, I don't know if you saw the Dodgers travel day from 2019, but it was, it was epic. It, there was several things, several takeaways that the, the, the franchise fan base hold dear. Uh, one of which was uh, Dustin May, which please come back soon. Dustin May uh, dressed up as the clown from it. And it was like, legitimately terrifying <laughs> there's a really great backstage dodgers on uh on on youtube that i highly recommend uh this was back ross stripling was still on the team like first of all it's hard to watch because like kike hernandez and jock peterson and ross stripling and like all these players that were kind of missing or traded away are, are still we're still on the team and um uh you know <sighs> Those were the days. I yeah. Those were the days. Well, it's funny you, when you were talking about how you know your core players are a little bit older. It, you know, it made me almost think. Well, yeah, they're going to go for it this year because that's kind of what happened in 2020. A lot of them, you know, Kike Hernandez and and Jock Peterson and a couple of people were like coming up on the end of their, um, their contract years, and they kind of knew that they were going to be leaving the team. And I think that was a big push of like we want to win a series with these guys yeah you know, we want to win think, it with these people so i think the lucky thing for the giants has been that a lot of our core guys have had a lot of early career success right buster posey buster posey is the only guy left from the 2010 championship but obviously brandon belt and brandon crawford were here for the 2010 uh, sorry 2012 and 2014 mm. years and i think in that sense it's like they've they've sort of won together already but it would be very very nice for for fans I think to see them do it one more time because like you know the Giants and I think also the Dodgers um are teams that hold on to players uh this is not a knock against say like the A's or the Rays um but you know players seem to land there and leave so quickly but here it's like I I think you can absolutely knock them because it's not fair to their franchise like it's not fair to their fan base like who 
whose jersey do you buy on one of those teams you know like Holy fingers you buy the old players who you know, right. are no longer there right, right. yeah 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 so um, but 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 i think the giants and the dodgers uh hold on to players and i think that makes it easy for people to to fall in love with the team because you have this continuity right every every year you come buster posey's behind the plate or clayton kershaw is getting his opening day start and i think in that sense it's very nice and i for, for one, I think I would really like to see the old guys give it another try. Um, I know the sort of motto in baseball recently has been like, let the kids play, right? Tatis and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and all the all the kids. And I, I absolutely adore them. I think they're, they're phenomenally fun to watch. Um, but Evan Longoria actually uh, made the Giants these shirts. I don't know if you've seen them, but Crawford was wearing one and it just says, let the old guys play. Um, I did see which, that, yeah. <laughs> which I think is very, you know, it, it's what the Giants in 2021 is, right? It's um, players who... I think everybody was like, these guys are out of their prime. They're never going to, I mean, and, and I think it's, they've done such a good job of, of saying, you know, we're still here. We're still contributing. Um, so it'd be heartwarming to see them at least make another push at it. If only because Buster might come back. Buster's has said that, I think, I think Buster has said that he wants very much to finish his career with the Giants, but I don't know about the, the other guys. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, I am absolutely a fan of let the old guys play because, I mean, we have living daily proof in Albert Pujols. Like, my goodness. like <sighs> Albert Pujols. <laughs> right? Like, you know, two years ago, Mookie Betts and Albert Pujols being on the Dodgers seemed like a, a, a fantasy. And now, you know, well, ex except, you know, Mookie's uh, injured right now, but like, I don't think he's on the IL, but he's, you know, hurting. But like, them starting for the Dodgers what and and especially like I think Albert Pujols coming in and he did might have done so much more for the clubhouse especially with you know I don't know what Bauer was like in the clubhouse but I mean he's such a self-centered person I don't imagine it being particularly good like I don't know that he was I don't know. That's all wild speculation, but we know for a fact that Albert Pujols is just fantastic. And like, he's encouraging every time Max hits, I know you don't love Max, but every time Max hits a home run, he's right there giving him this huge bear hug. And like, he's doing all like the head padding and the side, like, you know, all of the, the hand signals and stuff like that. And it's been fantastic to see this guy who the angels gave up on, like they just gave up on him literally and and you know we we got to pick him up for a song and and that has been kind of like i think a redeeming arc of the story of this you know that that this I, season it's very easy for me to like players with good narratives regardless mm -hmm. of the team they're on um and i think in the sense of pujols um as much as and I might not be saying this now if he had hit that walk-off home run against us that Mike Talkman robbed. Ah, uh, uh, Talkman! Uh, I know. gave I uh, gave our <laughs> Yankees fans thanks Yankees. Um, you know, <laughs> I, but but my point is I think the Dodgers have given Pujols in, in some sense, or I, I guess his career, right? Like this new lease on life, yeah. uh, which has been really good to see because I am very fond of players getting a chance at um, coming back or at just sort of playing as long as they want to. I think the St. Louis Cardinals should extend Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright for the next however many years they want to play, right? Right. Um, so it's it's been nice to see that. Again, maybe if he'd hit off that walk-up against us, I wouldn't be saying <laughs> this. But, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the Dodgers have kind of done that before. Like, 
a lot of people make, you know, we develop, we develop players really well. And so a lot of our, um, you know, our rookies come up and do really well quickly, but we've also kind of like, not rehab, but like done well with older players like David Freeze, which I mean, the, the we just smacked up into the nationals, but like David Freeze not getting a ring is like ugh, hard on me. You know, Chase Utley had a few more years with us. So like we've done well with picking up like, you know, older players and letting them like really shine, which has been, I, I think, really I mean, none like I, I think... this whole pool holes thing is just like so fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, that's a testament to like, I think the Dodgers coaching and the Dodgers sort of like mm -hmm. I, the, the sort of staff, right? Like allowing players to find new ways to, to sort of invent and reinvent themselves because the Giants have been doing a very similar thing. Um, you know, Kevin Gosman as yeah. a as a sort of middle middling starter slash relief pitcher for for you know his previous teams has come back and been phenomenal. If it wasn't for Jacob Degrom, he would be a legitimate Cy Young candidate. Yeah. Um, and then Anthony Discofani coming here on a like a like a deal that for the Giants is sort of a pittance. I think it's like six million dollars a year, and you know doing phenomenal for for us. I think yeah. um, obviously that that's I think a testament to how the organization in that sense yeah. lets these people sort of change change their their career in the way that they go about things and now a word from our sponsors well just the one sponsor it's it, it's the same ad as always meow Well, now that's over with, right back at it. So it's because I was looking at like the Giants Dodgers, the lifetime win loss. Uh, you guys do have a slight advantage of us in the literal century plus of, of but it's only by like point, uh, 0.4%. So we've won 49.6% of games and you guys have won mathing the other part of that. Um, so like, <laughs> you know, most recently it has been like in the 2020s, we've had the better record in the 2010s you guys had the better record but only by like a few games and like we go back and forth and like uh the 90 1990s we were dead even like 70 and 70. so like seeing that both of these teams can develop talent and keep talent and bring in these things just makes me so excited for the future that this rivalry is gonna be strong for a while yeah um, i think i think the, the the keeping talent thing is also like you know, I, I said earlier that I don't think anybody on the Giants this year would do the get it out of the ocean show voting against the Dodgers. Right. Um, Buster Posey hit a really clutch, I think, three-run home run, and he smiled at booing Dodgers fans, and we were all like, how wonderful <gasps> of him to do that, right? Um, yeah. But but I think, yeah, it's the, the sort of old, like, tr traditional or, like, sort of, you know, past rivalry plus the new guys that'll make it really interesting for years to come. But the Giants' offense has been a surprise. Like, we've we've talked about no one really expected this out of this team who's been the biggest surprise to you like who's that one player that's kind of maybe under the radar like wow because you know, like buster posey yes he came back but you almost kind of like it it makes sense in his narrative that this happened who's been the person who's like wow i did not expect that out of them i i think for me the biggest surprise has been stephen duggar who has sort of settled into our more or less every day. I don't think the Giants really have like an everyday outfield just because um, the staff is so keen on matchups, but he sort of settled in 
for the center field position, which is a hole that I think the Giants have been trying to fill. We've tried um, Austin Slater, who I love, um, but you know he hasn't been hitting as well. Uh, we, I think, have tried Talkman at center field. Um, you know, there's been, but Dogger has sort of come in and, in a lot of sense, become the the sort of center fielder every, most days, uh, which to me has been a big surprise because last year and even at the beginning of this year, he was very much the sort of up and down player. Um, Last year, he was called up, sent down, called up, sent down, because he's always been seen sort of as a glove-first um, player. He's very fast. If you look at the way that Steven Duggar is built, you're like, this guy is very fast. Uh, he can steal bases. He covers center field super, super well. Uh, last year, he could not hit. Like, I think there was there was a hole in his swing, which I don't remember where, but, you know, people would just pitch them there, and he couldn't hit, and so he would uh, and, but over the course of the, the sort of offseason and the second half of last year, he has reinvented his swing and he's hitting really well this year, um, and which has been not something that anybody has expected of him. Um, so I think he would be the biggest surprise in terms of offense or offensive contributions. So like in 2020, he batted 176 and had an OPS of 458. Uh, this oh. year, he's batting 282 and an OPS of 830, which obviously isn't like, you know, it's not Buster Posey, it's not Silver right. Slugger levels, but it's I mean, in so this, much better. In this year, and it almost is, though. Like, so few players are above 300 that, like, 280 is nothing to sneeze at, you know? Yeah, and he's, you know, so he's done a really good job at that and just sort of reinventing his whole approach at the plate so that he could be an offensive contributor aside from being really really good on defense see how I, I mean he hit his um this is not against the Dodgers so I yeah. feel free to bring it up he hit his first grand slam this year in that 19 to 1 blowout of the Cincinnati Reds that we had uh or like 19 to 7 something like that um uh -huh. so, so he's been obviously hitting a lot better mm -hmm. uh maybe he will rob a couple more walk-up home runs we'll see <laughs> Well, I mean, we are we are in position to walk it off. That's for sure. I don't know. We had we got well. That's the frustrating thing was we got walked off last night. Yeah, um, Charlie Blackman, right? Yeah, I, Charlie Blackman. Kenley's been great this year. Um, but he's the he's the guy I would want the Giants to take from the Dodgers yeah. in terms of like in terms of like filling up holes in the roster because the Giants uh -huh. bullpen is good, but it's not that good. Well, it's like with Kenley, like you those high leverage situations like you're not always going to come out on top no reliever how however good is always going to come out on top and i think he got a lot of flack for being put into close situations where you know it was because the relievers didn't do their job or the starter didn't do their job and it's i think he got a lot of i mean you know there's also a race element to it let's not you know let's not pretend that's not there I, uh, the blown save is, is is frustrating, but I feel like they get so much more flack and 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 frustration than like a middle reliever who, you know, gives up things. Except for maybe Joe Kelly. People don't like Joe Kelly sometimes. <laughs> but anyway, so but I think I think Joe Kelly is his own. Um, he's his story own, to tell there. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to the White House in the mariachi jacket is just like that's Joe Kelly, you know, it, he's just this weird, he's exactly like the kind of crazy old school reliever, like in, you know, like major, like major league is a whole big bag of terrible things. I don't endorse that movie, but like the idea of that crazy wild reliever, that's Joe Kelly, like that's Joe Kelly. And so it, it's definitely entertaining to watch. 
not so great when he does you know plunk a batter and the bladder batter comes around to score like that's I mean, you should never plunk batters anyway, but I genuinely think with him, except for maybe that Houston Astros game, I don't think he ever does try to hit people. I think he's just sometimes effectively wild and sometimes ineffectively wild. I mean, I mean, sometimes, sometimes when you you need that in a reliever, right? The uh, yeah. the cards guy, Alex. Uh, sorry, I don't know if that's his first name. Like Alex Reyes, you know, the twenty four out of twenty four save opportunities converted in a row. He walks like seven batters per nine innings, and you're like, how do you? 24 saves walking seven yeah. hours per inning but you Stress. know sometimes it works if yeah. it works it works if it works bit of torture at the end of a baseball game never hurt yeah. anybody yeah i mean that that is something that kenley kind of does he does occasionally like get you know allow either walks a batter or like allows a single or something like that and he generally gets out of it one of yeah, my drama <laughs> One of my good friends uh, made, we were talking about Mark Melanson, who was on the Pirates. Uh, my friend is a Pirates fan. Um, and she was saying that she has this theory that maybe sometimes closers just let people on base so that they can get the like adrenaline going um, versus like a base is empty situation and then yeah. they get out of it. And you're like, this is horrible. But, you know, maybe you, I think closers are probably in some ways they've got to be adrenaline junkies. So oh, yeah. maybe if it works, it works, right? Yeah. So uh, we talked about kind of a regular person. Who's your most exciting prospect that you're looking at right now? Prospect-wise, uh, I think, so the one I was going to say earlier, sort of more up and down, and now he's stuck, but would have been Lamont Way Jr., who mm-hmm. nobody really expected to be up the whole year this year, but he's done a phenomenal job filling in at first base where we have unfortunately had a string of injuries. Um, in terms of prospects, Obviously, everybody is looking at Marco Luciano. You know, he's 19. He's a phenomenal shortstop. He's hitting well. Um, obviously, his defense is spectacular. Uh, people are looking at Joey Bart and Patrick Bailey, who have been the two first-round draft picks the Giants have taken in the last two years, who are both catchers, uh, which means for me, a very staunch Buster Posey fan, uh, I want <laughs> – I don't I, – I, I would rather them offer Buster another year of a contract than necessarily see Joey Bart come up. Uh But obviously he's Bart's hitting like 400 something in the minors or like even higher than that. And so there's sort of, you know, if it wasn't for Buster being the everyday catcher, he would be up here. Uh, And if the giants weren't, I I think if the giants weren't contending, maybe he would even be up here. So those are definitely exciting to see. Um, I think for the first time in a while, the giants have had good minor league depth. So there's just, it's just exciting. Uh, I think the, the thing is, right, uh, the Giants came into the season. Everybody, including myself, was like, we're going to watch the minors. We're going to wait, right? It'll be another three or four years before we can contend with the Dodgers. Uh, and then we came in and they, you know, obviously blew up that plan. Yeah, right, um, right. So it's it's nice to know that we've still got really excited people in the minors. And I think those those three that I mentioned, plus Lamont Way Jr. have been the, the sort of, um most like oh I want and um Elliot Ramos um who is this outfielder who was up for a while in spring training uh is also has been hitting quite well so those are the ones I'm excited to see so 2019 we had a phenomenal crop of rookies we had Alex Verdugo Matt Beatty Will Smith and then a couple other uh Edwin Rios and like my goodness four rookies like with that level of playing and, and Lux was even up and downing then he, I don't think he, he came up for a little while. He, he had some, he got, he gets the ups every time he bumped a level. So we kind of expected it, but um you know, that's, that's a phenomenal rookie up 
upbringing. This year has been a little more frustrating because we have got to see a lot of our kind of AAA guys come up because we've had so many injuries. And I, I'm not going to say bust because that is not fair, but I feel like we have had more like of the 4A type. The, the expectations put on rookie players are like, you know, like everybody, especially when Buster was going through the sort of 20, I mean, Joey Bart was drafted in 2019. So, you know, with, with um, Buster opting out last year, right? Everybody was like, Joey Bart is going to be the next coming of Buster Posey because he was like tear, tearing it up in the minors. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's, that's like impossible. That's an impossible standard to live up to. Right. right. Um, and it's sort of like, he came out last year and he was, he did fine. Right. He, was solidly fine as a catcher um obviously and and I think it's just like part of it it's just the expectations is also really difficult right you always want to see young players do well mm-hmm. and we especially with first round picks top prospects if they come up and they don't they they might be a very good player but if they are not as phenomenal as their their sort of I guess draft spot or you know sort of the expectations set up has been I think it is very people are very quick to be like this guy isn't going to work out Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's difficult right it's very rare to have players who spend like a year in the minors and then just and players who like grind it out in the minors and who end up coming up and sometimes they do Mike Yastrzemski spent like nine years in the minors the the Baltimore Orioles farm system and he's what legitimately last year would have been an all-star candidate right yeah so you're like and so you're like I think I'm more inclined to give these people the benefit of the doubt, uh, if only because I think I'm sort of acutely aware of like, oh, the expectations must be really crushing to be put into that position. Have you ever, have you been to Oracle Park? Have you been to? Yeah, I, I, I went um, for the first time actually a month and a half ago. Um, uh-huh. So right before they reopened to full capacity, uh, but it was still really nice to, to have gone there. Yeah. Yeah. Where, what, what was, where did you sit? Like, where, did you like where you sat? Were you? Yeah. So I went to, so I basically went there to see friends ostensibly, uh, but also just to watch a lot of games with friends. Um, So I think I sat, uh, because my logic is sort of, you know, if I'm only going to go to San Francisco once a year, I may as well splurge on tickets. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I sat, I think in the 100 sections, um, sort of, I think 113, 109, and then 125, sort of more down the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I sat in the third deck for a game, which, so, so those were, those were, I haven't sat in the bleachers yet. Um, so maybe that's in the cards next year. <laughs> yeah. What did, what was your favorite spot though? Do you think, did you like high so up I or think, did you like, I think if people want to splurge on tickets, obviously like, you know, as close to home plate in the 100 sections is really nice. It's kind of undeniable, right? Those are like the expensive seats, the good seats. But I genuinely think, you know, if you want to just go see a game, the third deck with like the like $25, $30, whatever, something like that tickets in most stadiums is really nice because you get a view that looks over the whole field and you can see everything at every play, um, which I actually really enjoyed. I sat in the, so I'm currently in Chicago. Uh, I sat in the White Sox fifth deck a couple of days ago so it was really high up but you could see everything you could see into the bullpen from like behind home plate sort of that vantage point nice. so if I think cheap tickets wise those are the the place to go fantastic so uh you do illustrations and little comics and baseball kind of things uh what what inspired you to start that I'm guessing you you do illustration 
um, outside of baseball too. But what inspired you to do these? Because you have a really fun one. I'm linking in the show notes about uh, scorekeeping, which is really fun and informative. But I really like your style. What what kind of inspired it? Um, if I'm allowed to plug actually two of my good friends, absolutely, who, who do things. Um, uh, one of my friends, um, his name is Andy, and he has a Twitter, which I can. I guess, send if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or, 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 you know, who does these really, really wonderful baseball illustrations and comics. Um, and that's sort of, because um, he, he was into baseball way before I knew him. Um, and sort of looking at his stuff is sort of what made me be like, well, maybe I can um, do drawings about this subject. I think I spent a lot of time trying to do like capital A art and illustration. Um, but then I was like, with baseball, it's something where I just get to have fun and do whatever. Um, and then my um, and then my other friends, uh, Lewis, who also does illustration and poetry on Twitter, I'm sort of looking at, honestly, it's like my friends' inspiration because that's how I got into baseball, right? By having very nice friends who very kindly educated me on the nuances of the game. Um, so it's definitely inspiration from them. And aside from that, I just... I think my whole thing is that there are so many good narratives in baseball. Um, it, for, for Dodgers fans, um, Andy has this very brilliant comic about Clayton Kershaw and the 2020 COVID season shutdown. Um, and I think just part of it is just like the chance to get to tell these stories that that makes it fun for me. And then scorekeeping is just such a, it's such a, such a, in some ways pedantic and outdated way, right? To watch the game, but it's uh -huh. very soothing. And I think, it was nice because I had a couple people be like, um, we want to score a game, but we don't know how. So I was like, I will take the all-star break to make this comic. Oh, yeah. I always try to say like, I'm not superstitious, but I swear every game that I've like sat down to score, we started losing and I'd stop and they'd start winning. And I'm like, baseball will make you superstitious. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, that was me at the beginning of the season. So that was me yeah. at the beginning of the season. I had... Uh, it wasn't scorekeeping, but I actually, I have a Tim Linscombe jersey because despite all my talk about Buster Posey, I, he, Tim, Tim's my, probably my favorite player. Uh -huh. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't wear this because every time I wear this, we simply lose. <laughs> uh, so, so I think, yeah, Bissell definitely does make me superstitious. Makes you crazy. It absolutely makes you crazy. Well, I want to say thank you so much. Um, now I generally end the podcast with saying like just this one time go this team um so i'm gonna work myself up to saying you don't have to you don't have to just this one time go giants football team cool so um <laughs> I, 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 think, I think maybe maybe more aptly um i hope the series is good i hope it's fun to watch yes. i think good baseball is always fun to yeah watch, so, i so, i know. really hope yeah i, I like as much as you kind of hope for a blowout game, I also kind of don't. Like I want a close rivalry. I love I love pitching. I yeah. <laughs> could sit and watch zero zero games forever. Right. So, so. Oh, like well, first of all, so I was at the Cubs game where we got no hit. It was a combined no hitter. It's a weird situation because you're like you know you're seeing history. You kind of know why. Like all of our guys, like all of our guys were hurt at that point you have to appreciate even when it's against you when there's a no hitter because especially post post skit sticky crackdown like yeah i think i think the thing about that game that's funny was that uh <laughs> all the relievers right were like 
not to digress, but all the relievers oh, yeah. came in. They were like, we had no idea it was a no-hitter. Because they were like, well, one, we can't see the scoreboard from the bullpen. Right. And two, I think Kimball was like, they walked a combined, like, eight people. Oh, yeah. No, there was like so them. much traffic on the bases for, like, and, a no-hitters. And, and, and I remember, like, Kimball was like, I think if you watch the end celebration, not that Dodgers fans have to, I'm sure it's very painful, but it's very funny because, like, Kimball's, like, you know, Wilson Contreras, who obviously knows what's going on. He's been catching the whole game. Comes yeah. and he's just like, mobs Kimbrel. And you see Kimbrel go, what? Like, he looks so lost. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the mood in the in the ravine was very... So when the Dodgers win, they play, you know, I Love LA and the... You know, that everyone kind of sings, kind of laughs. And it is a very eerie feeling in, in, in the ravine when the Dodgers don't win because it's so quiet. Like there's no music and it's, you know, unless there's like a fireworks stand or something like that's just kind of it. Like everybody leaves. We were sitting kind of near the family section. So like the Cubs family members were going nuts because they knew it was happening. And, and it was really, really cool. It was just this weird, like, well, that happened. Okay, let's, let's go. It was so, <laughs> it's just a weird, it was so weird to see. And I was there with another like Dodger Yard person and we were just like, well, that was history cool cool history i had a i had a very uh one of my good friends who um is a rangers fan unfortunately was at both of the no hitters against the rangers this year um now that will make you superstitious and she was like if this happens again i think i'm gonna be banned from club life um but yeah well I yeah well it's been so fantastic talking to you thank you so very much for talking with me and um no I already said I don't have to say it again (laughs) this is this has been very enjoyable um given that I'm the guest I don't think I have to say go Dodgers but uh, (laughs) no no no, I I think it'll I'm just like I said earlier you know hopefully it'll be a good series I think good series the, the, the fun thing is just like nobody gets hurt everything is enjoyable to watch good baseball. yeah so. i mean yeah especially with injuries no one gets hurt that's 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 the thing we want we, the, wanna, that's we the want motto. yeah we want this to come down to september right like we want this to yes. be like an end of september fun race exhausting as that will be that's what we well that's what <laughs> you're like shaking your head given, like nah. given that the giant the giants played the padres 10 times in their last 20 games I'm hoping that at least that part of it won't come down to September, but right, it should be fun either. Right. Right. Yeah, we can we can separate between the top two, right? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little anyway, bit. well, thank you so much, Elliot. We'll talk to you yeah, again. This soon. has been super fun. Oh good. Thank you so much to Elliot for chatting with me. Uh, if you can't tell, we uh we had a good time. We had a great time. We always have a good time in the baseball neighborhood. So I'm recording this intro and outro after an exciting but ultimately frustrating game for Dodger fans as the Giants won 2-1 to one on this Tuesday, July 27th. As I mentioned in the opener, that puts the Giants and the Dodgers dead even in terms of win-loss against each other this season. The Dodgers came into this three-game series only two games behind the Giants. How they leave it just might set the tone for the rest of the season. But considering they're down Mookie, Seager, May, Kershaw, and have had other major players on and off the IL, the fact that they are going toe-to-toe with an MLB record leader, that's nothing to sniff at. 
in personal news, by the time you're listening to this podcast, I will have crossed one more stadium off my list. I'll be in San Diego to watch the A's take on the Padres in Petco Park tomorrow. I am so excited to see the stadium. And yes, I will try the tacos. That is what everyone tells me. I will try the tacos. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. I uh, I hope to see some really, really good baseball um, from both sides. Although, uh, you know, by the time uh we 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 they actually play <laughs> the rosters might look completely different because it's trade season and isn't that exciting so if the baseball gods are willing and you just so happen to be at petco park for the last game in this padres a series we'll see y'all out there baseball neighborhood is a production of dodger yard